this podcast from Jubilee Church Derby, a church family looking to make a difference across the city of Derby and beyond. This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations, and you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. So God is with us, and we're going to look at his word together. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you'd like to turn, please, to Colossians chapter 3. And just as you're finding Colossians chapter 3, I'd just like to make a couple of comments about last weekend. It was great to have Jeremy and Anne Simpkins with us for the weekend. You've just seen Jeremy uh, again on the video. And it's a real privilege to have him amongst us. It was great to have him here. Uh, Jeremy now leads uh, a group uh, of, uh, of over 100 churches uh, within the wider New Frontiers family. Uh, and uh, we call this, this group, this movement, Christ Central. And uh, it was great to have him with us uh, and Anne for the weekend. We had a good time with them on the Saturday morning. I did some stuff with, uh, with us as elders on the Saturday, Saturday as well. Good to have him preach on the Sunday. And uh, it was exciting to hear him describe what he sees ahead for us as a church. Those of you who are here will know what he was talking about. He talked about some things for for me and Sarah, for us as a church, and for many of you guys as well. And uh, it was great to hear his perspective on things, uh, what he saw that God was doing, uh, what he saw God was doing in the conference we just talked about. That's the next weekend, uh, a little over Methodist that we're hosting and other things that he sees upon different individuals and for us as a church. And uh, it was exciting to hear all that. And if you missed it, then you can listen to the talk again. It's on our website. You can download it and listen to it uh, at your convenience. I'd encourage you to do that. But as with anything prophetic, it needs to be weighed, it needs to be prayed about. You need to take it back to God and <clears throat> ask him to speak into it again. And just to say that much of what he described is about the direction of travel for us as a church, rather than what's going to happen tomorrow. So it's about what God has got for us in the future, it's about where we're heading, it's about what he's saying to us, rather than all of it necessarily happening overnight. But whilst it may not happen overnight, it's important we don't just sit back in the comfy seats that we kindly provide for a Sunday morning and just expect it to happen around us. Because I don't think that's how God works. But rather when God speaks in this way, and uh, he speaks prophetically, and this applies to what Jeremy said last week, and I'm sure will apply to much of what he said next weekend. Actually, when God speaks in this way, prophetic words like that need to be prayed into, talked about and discussed with with, uh, trusted friends. They need to be acted on, and they need to be received with faith. They need to be received with faith. You need to receive the word and mix it with faith. Like when you mix a cake. You know, you you mix ingredients in. and It's like you need to hear the word and mix in faith, which is your contribution to it and saying, Lord, I believe what you said. You know, I want want, want to see this happen. I want to trust you for that. You're mixing in faith with it. And you could hear something and say, oh, that never happened. No, I can never do that. Or they can never do that. Or this will never happen. That's not mixing it with faith, is it? And I want to encourage us to take what Jeremy said last weekend and what I'm sure will be talked about next weekend, and I'm expecting some prophetic words next weekend, is to mix it with faith. And that applies to what God says to you individually and what he says to us 
as a church. I want to be encouraging us to mix it with faith. And as, as far as next weekend goes, then I want to encourage you to come with an expectation and faith that God is going to speak to you and encourage you and speak to us and encourage us. So I want to ask you to come with that expectation. Please pray this week for the conference next weekend, both the Saturday and the Sunday. Let's be praying that God is going to speak prophetically and powerfully. He's going to set people free. He's going to speak direction and clarity to people. And um, let's let's be hungry for that and hungry for what God wants to do and hungry to encounter him afresh. But I want to ask us, friends, to, to come expectant with faith that God's going to speak to us. Is that okay? Can we do that? <clears throat> so that requires some uh, mixing it with faith. It requires praying into it this week. And I'm, I'm asking you, please, to do that uh, as, uh, as we look forward to next weekend. <clears throat> okay, so you should have found Colossians chapter 2 by now. And uh, we're in verse 20. <clears throat> we'll read into a few verses in chapter 3. Colossians chapter 2, verse 20. Since you died with Christ, to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there's no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, <coughs> Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. And we pray now, God, that you would speak to us. You'd help us to understand what we've read. And the Holy Spirit, you would come. You would apply it to our hearts and our lives that your word now might do us good. We ask it, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. You might want to keep the passage in front of you as we'll refer to it uh, as we go. But it's interesting, isn't it? Paul talks about 
um, if you like, no more rules. Now, rules, they seem like a good idea, don't they? They, they seem like they give you boundaries. You, know, you can operate within this area and no further. You know, these are the rules around you. These are the boundaries that you must, that must obey. But actually, what they don't do is rules don't affect your heart. They don't change the inside of you. Rather, they speak to the external of you, if you like. They're an external thing that are placed upon us. And as Paul says, these rules have an appearance of wisdom because you can think, oh, that's good. Well, I've got, I've got a boundary here. I've got a rule there. So I know what I can do and what I can't do. But actually, it's only an appearance of wisdom. Really, they don't have anything to offer because they don't affect your heart. They just tell you not to do something. And the trouble is, the more that rules tell you not to do something, the more that you end up thinking, I really want to do that. You know, the more you're thinking about a rule that says, don't do this, the more you end up thinking about it. <clears throat> so, for example, if I told you not to think about a really nice Sunday roast dinner. I want you to imagine it, but actually I want you not to imagine it, because you mustn't do this. So, don't think about this uh, Sunday roast dinner. Don't imagine it. Don't uh, uh, allow the, sort of the smell of the, uh, the roast beef or roast chicken, or, or, or maybe if you're a vegetarian, the roast parsnip or carrots. Whatever it is for you that works as a Sunday roast, don't, uh, you know, don't allow the aroma to sort of be, be thought about. Don't allow you, yourself to think about what it's going to do to your stomach, because right now you're feeling hungry but don't think about the dinner don't think about enjoying it maybe with some friends maybe a nice glass of red wine to, to go with it a great vintage don't think about that you know, don't think about the pudding oh the pudding don't think about it just the best cream gatto you can imagine you know, I, I had a confession time I had a black forest gatto from Patisserie Valerie this week it was very good it was free so it's okay that, that means it's no calories. If you don't pay for it, it's no calories, okay? But don't think about it, okay? I don't want you to imagine it. I don't want you to think about, oh, that, that's so nice. The black forest, gallo, the cream, oh, the texture. Just don't think about it. Now, you see, if what are you thinking about? You're probably thinking about the roast dinner and the, the gatto from Patricia Valerie, okay? So telling you not to think about something doesn't really help, does it? Actually, the same is true of, the, of rules and regulations. Saying don't do something and keep on saying don't do this, don't do that, actually doesn't help us. It doesn't change our hearts. And that's what Paul is addressing here. I'm quite hungry after that illustration. <laughs> Bear with me. So rules, they seem like a good idea. But the Bible is far more interested in a change of hearts. God's more interested in what's going on inside of you, what your heart is wanting to do, your internal desire. John Piper in Future Grace says this, he says, sin is what you do when your heart is not fully satisfied in God. Sin is what you do when your heart is not fully satisfied in God. It's a great quote. So how do you get satisfied in God, how do you overcome? If it's not by following the rules, because actually we're saying they don't really help us, they don't change our hearts, what's the way through? 
How do you how do you grow as a Christian? How do you deal with these things? Well, Paul tells us in chapter three. Set your heart on things above. That's what he says in verse two of chapter three. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And what Paul is saying is rather than concentrate on what you mustn't do, instead Set your mind on heavenly things, not earthly things. Think more about Jesus. Think more about his glory, his beauty, his majesty, his holiness. Think more about him rather than what you shouldn't be doing. Set your heart on things above. Look to Jesus. The 19th century Baptist preacher C.H. Spurgeon describes how he came to Christ. And he tells of a seemingly pretty uneducated, primitive Methodist preacher who was standing in for a missing preacher on one occasion and Spurgeon happened to be in the small congregation. Now this guy couldn't really preach. And so all he did was stick to his text. Actually, that's not such a bad thing. But anyway, all he did was really stick to his text, which was this. His text was, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. And all this guy really did was just to keep repeating that and just to try and explain it. And so Spurgeon, who was then just 15, recalls this. He says, Then he shouted, as only a primitive Methodist can, Young man, look to Jesus Christ. And there and then the cloud was gone. The darkness had rolled away, and that moment I saw the sun, and I could have risen that moment and sung with the most enthusiastic of them of the precious blood of Christ. All the guy said was, young man, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ. And we often describe how when people first become a Christian, we often use that phrase, don't we? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus Christ. Put your hope in him. Look to him. We often talk about that. But what about those of us who have been a Christian for any length of time? Well, the same is true. Look to Jesus. Now, before we open that up a little bit, just for any of you here this morning who are maybe looking in, maybe you're here with a friend, maybe you haven't yet put your trust and hope in Jesus, then what this... (coughs) rather uneducated, but clearly anointed preacher said to Spurgeon, young man, look to Jesus Christ. I'd say to you this morning, look to Jesus. This morning, everything could change for you as well. As well as just how Spurgeon described how for him, suddenly the cloud lifted, things made sense, and he was able to put his hope for the first time in Christ. Friends, maybe that could be you this morning. You could make that decision. You could respond to Christ's invitation to you. So don't miss that, if that's you. But what about the rest of us then? Well, actually, the same is true. Look to Jesus. How should we continue in the Christian life? Paul says in verse, uh, verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3 here, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. 
It's quite clear, isn't it? He says it twice. You think, okay, well, he wants to make a point here. He's saying it twice. Set your heart on things above. Look to Christ. And so it's not just by being more determined that you overcome. It's not by putting in additional rules that you deal with sin. But rather it's about looking to Jesus and getting closer to him. Allowing him to captivate your heart and change you from the inside. That's what will change you. That's what will deal with things in your life. That's what will enable you to overcome that which you're struggling with. That's what, that's what will bring you freedom. And Paul goes on to say that we should put to death whatever belongs to our earthly or sinful nature. But what does he mean by that? What does he mean when he says, put to death, in verse 5, whatever belongs to your earthly nature? What's he talking about there? We probably don't need to expand on the sort of things that he's talking about because we can all relate to those things. We can all write a similar list, I would imagine. But what does it mean to put to death? Well, Jesus put it like this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is saying, put it to death. Be proactive. If it causes you to sin, get rid of it. Now, for the record, let's be really clear about this. I don't think, in fact, I'm sure, he doesn't mean literally gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. Because if he did, most of us will be going around with no eyes and no hands. What Jesus is saying is take radical action. Be decisive. He's talking figuratively, but he is talking about being radical. And Paul is saying the same to his readers here. Put it to death. You know, they'd all been there. And so have we. Put it to death, he says. Cut off those things, Jesus says, that cause sin. And instead, instead there's a new way to live. Instead, look to Jesus. See, Paul does expect a new way of living. And he goes on to talk about what he means by that later on in the passage. Verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So he's saying, because you're this sort of person, now clothe yourself with these things. The, the, uh, The passage that James read earlier talked about clothing yourself. It's like you clothe yourself in Christ. You're now in Christ. You're now in him. When God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Isn't that good? He looks at you and sees the righteousness of Christ. I mean, that that, that is so, so exciting, isn't it? So let's be clear. These attributes that Paul talks about here, compassion, kindness, humility, etc., they will not bring about salvation. They will not make you a Christian. They will not change your eternal destiny. But rather, they are what you should put on after you've trusted in Jesus. And as a result of what he's done in your heart. So once you've you've responded to his call in your life, you've decided to follow him, he's started to change you from the inside because you're looking to him. 
Paul says, therefore, put on these things as a result of what Christ has done in you. They are, if you like, a result of staying close to Jesus, of following him. And so Paul says here <clears throat> that you are God's chosen people. He says that you're holy. Do you notice that? He says that you're chosen. So often we talk about choosing Jesus, don't we? We say, yeah, I, I, I chose to, to follow him. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I know, I responded at an alpha course, or I, I responded in a meeting, or whatever it might be, we, we make it about what we have done. Actually, all we have done is responded to what Jesus had initiated. You are chosen. God chose you. Before the foundation of the earth, he chose you. He chose you for relationship with him. So therefore, because you are God's chosen people, you're holy, he says. You notice that? You're holy. So as a follower of Jesus, you're not a sinner trying to be a saint. You're a saint who sometimes sins. And I don't say that to belittle sin or to think it's not important because it is, but rather it's about where you're seated to start with. It's about the position you come from initially. You are a saint. God has chosen you. He has made you holy. You've responded to Christ. You are now in him. It's good, isn't it? So that is your position. You are a son, a daughter of the living God. You don't have to make yourself holy. You are holy because what of Christ has done. You can't make yourself holy. God's done that because of what Christ did on the cross. Now what you can do as a result of that, because of what he's done, is clothe yourself with these things like compassion and kindness and humility and so on. God looks at you and declares you to be holy and righteous because you are in Christ. He gives you the righteousness of Jesus and credits it to you. Or as the King James Version puts it, imputes it to you. He credits it to you. It's like he credits your accounts because of what Jesus has done. But as well as that, you are also dearly loved. Paul says, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. It's a good word, isn't it? You are dearly loved. Wow. You know, sometimes when we're around gifted prophetic people, um, we can start to yearn for a, a word from the Lord, can't we? You ever done that? You, you know, you're around people, you know they hear from God, you know they're gifted prophetically, you think, oh, I hope they have something from me. I hope they've got a word from the Lord from me. You ever done that? Or is it just me? I think we've all done that, haven't we? Listen, this morning I have a word for you. It is the best word you can hear. And it's this. You are dearly loved. How good is that? How good is that? It's like you don't need anything else after that, do you? You are dearly loved. You are in Christ. You are chosen. You are dearly loved. It doesn't get much better, does it? It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And so because of that truth, Paul says, therefore, because of that, therefore live like this. Therefore, because of what Christ has done, because of who you are in him, because of who he has made you to be, because of he's changing your heart and you're becoming more like him, therefore, 
live like this as a result of whatever he's doing in your life. So therefore, put on or clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, not to make you righteous, but because you are righteous. So friends, you know what? We should be known as the most compassionate people on earth because of what God's done in our hearts. We should be known as the kindest people, the most humble, gentle and patient people around. I wonder, are we? Are we known like that? If I was to speak to people who know you well, would they say that you're the kindest, most gentle and patient person they know? What about if you were to speak to people who know me the best and say, what's he like when he's not up here? Is he the kindest, most gentle, humble, patient person you know? I think the truth is for all of us, we're a work in progress. But listen, it's not that that makes us righteous. It comes out of us being righteous. So be more like Jesus. Be more like him. Don't be like Bill. Be like Jesus. That's a Facebook joke for some of you. Some of you got it and some of you didn't. Now listen, be like him. Be like Jesus. And Paul goes on, doesn't he? <clears throat> bear with one another. Verse 13, chapter 3. Bear with, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. These are some specific instructions that Paul gives us. And it's to do with community. It's to do with how we relate to one another. Now we sometimes think it was the Apostle John who had all the love one another messages. And it's true, he had quite a lot of love one another messages. If you read through his letters, that's pretty much what he was saying from start to finish. Where did he get it from? Jesus. John chapter 13, Jesus says this, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. See, Paul had the same message as well. It's so very important. It's not an optional extra. Paul does add some specifics here about bearing with one another, about forgiving one another. And why does he do that? Because, listen, in any community, in any family, in any group, and the church is no exception here, something will happen and you have the opportunity in that moment to be offended. I guarantee it. It will happen. And if you're new to Jubilee and, and you can think, well, I can't imagine that here. Listen, let me tell you up front. It will happen. Something will happen. Somebody will say something. There will be some misunderstanding or something will happen. And in that moment, you have the opportunity to be offended or not. You have the opportunity to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and to show love and grace to one another. So the question is not, will it happen? Because I guarantee it will. And if it's not somebody else out there that offends you, it'll probably be me. So it will happen. 
But the question is, in that moment, what will you do with it? Do you choose to be offended or do you choose to forgive? Do you choose to love? You see, we're human beings. Those sort of things happen around us. The question is, how will we respond when it does? What does Paul say? He says, forgive as the Lord forgave you. That's what he says. Jesus put it like this in Matthew 5. He expanded a little bit. Matthew 5.22, Jesus says, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, which is a sort of word of contempt, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fall will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. What Paul's saying here, sorry, what Jesus is saying here is before you worship, sort out the relationship. He's saying it's more important than that. Loving one another, Forgiving one another is a big deal. So the question is, how are you doing with that? How are we doing with that? Is there anyone that you need to reconcile with this morning? Anyone you need to forgive? Paul tells us to bear with one another. And we'll do well to remember that other people have to bear with us. See, it works both ways. You need to bear with me, and I need to bear with you. It works both ways. And then finally, what does he say? Above everything else, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. A new command I give you, said Jesus, love one another. Above all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. <clears throat> you see, much of the letters of the New Testament are written to churches and to church communities, sometimes more than one, to give them instructions on how to live together. How to be together. What, to, what, what it's to be like when they gather. What their relationships are to be like. How they're to honour and, and respect one another. What their uh, meetings are to be like, yes, but more about how they're to be with each other. And you might, you, think, well, you might say, well, why is that so important? It's so important because the church needs to be a, a great reflection of what it means to love Jesus. And as people look in, and they will and do, the question is, what do they see? Do they see a group of people that really love one another, are really for one another, that really honour one another, love Jesus and care for each other? Or do they just see people that really are no different to any other group? They may meet down the pub or the golf club or at the gym. That's why it's so important, friends. That's why so much of this instruction in the New Testament is, is directed to churches saying, be like this, live like this, let your relationships be like this, in order that that can then point people to Jesus. You see, you might read it and think, well, that's not very missional. That's not about reaching people who don't know Jesus yet. Yes, it is. It's because as people look in, they'll see something they want to be part of. 
They'll see what it's like to love Jesus and to follow him. It's absolutely missional. It's absolutely about other people and leading them to Christ. But we've got to get this one right first. It's so important. I want to encourage us to, you know, as, as these passages we read through this morning, to be coming to the Lord and say, God, is there anything you need to speak to me about? What do you need to say to me this morning? What's, what's my response? Is there anybody that I need to reconcile with? Is there anybody that I need to show greater patience or kindness to? Not that we somehow become totally introspective and not concerned about people around us. That's not what I'm suggesting. I'm just saying we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts and say, is there anything that we need to do? Anything that we need to put right? Or any area in our lives that God needs to deal with and say, let me take that and clothe yourself with this instead in order that we might be more like Jesus. I guess the passage we've looked at could probably be summed up as this. Be like Jesus and love one another. Is that a reasonable summary? Be like Jesus and love one another. Let's stand together uh, as we close. (coughs) I just want to allow us uh, a moment of quiet and just would encourage you in these few moments together just to be in your heart, speaking to the Lord and say, Father, is there anything you want to put your finger on in my life? Just allow him to do that. Is there anything that you need to put to death? You need to gouge out or cut off from your life, as it were. Is there anything that Holy Spirit would say, but put on this instead? Put on this. Or maybe anybody you need to forgive and reconcile with. Just allow the Spirit to speak to you in those moments. In a moment we're going to close our time together by singing again. We'll finish with singing the song we ended our time of worship with forever. And they're going to come up, I think, and going to lead us in that. Let's just allow the Lord to speak to our hearts. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we come to you this morning from position of being in Christ. We come to you, Father, knowing that because we've accepted what Jesus has done on the cross, because we've responded to your invitation to follow, because we've put our trust and hope in you, we are in Christ. You look upon us and see the righteousness of Jesus. And so none of these things about gaining your acceptance, none of these things are about gaining um, <coughs> more of you in some way or somehow gaining your forgiveness because that's been given already. And 
Lord, we pray you now, ask that out of that position of being in Christ, out of that position of being a son or daughter of a living God, we might deal with and cut off anything that would cause us to sin. And we might put on those things which honour you. Kindness, compassion, humility, gentleness. Thank you, Lord, that these are fruit of your spirit. <coughs> and as we become more like Jesus, as we get closer to him, as we allow the Holy Spirit more to flood our hearts and work in us, he brings these things to bear in our lives. The Holy Spirit brings these this fruit. And so, Father, we pray this morning that this fruit of the Spirit indeed would be, a, would be evident in our lives. That we might be kind and gracious, full of humi- humility and gentleness and patience. And Lord, in being like that, might point people to Jesus and say, you know what, it's not about me, it's about him. And Lord, we pray that as people look into us as a community, we might be able to say, hey, it's not about us, it's about him. And point people to you. And so Lord, help us with these things this week. <coughs> Although we live each day in a way that honours you. And Father, we pray that you might be around us and surround us with your love and your goodness. <coughs> we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk and come along on any Sunday morning.